action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs with me, your host, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We're back, bitches. It's 2020. Here we are. And ironically, I've just got new glasses. <laughs> you've got oh, yeah. two pairs of glasses. They look exactly the same. I've got 40-40. <laughs> this season, we are going to look into non-superhero comic book movies. Woohoo! Yeah. Because everyone is sick of superheroes, right? I think it's got to the point where they're so ingrained in popular culture that when people say, oh, I'm going to watch a comic book movie, people immediately think, oh, he's going to watch a superhero film. Yeah, they want to go Marvel immediately, surely. They'll, they'll immediately go Marvel. And it will always be, are you a Marvel fan or are you a DC fan? Well, mm. I grew up on DC books. Mm-hmm. I never really grew up on the Marvel books. But I do like the Marvel movies. But there are so many other amazing comic book movies that have nothing to do with superheroes and in fact growing up and still to this day reading comic books my favorites have always been the non-superhero books Mm. the great crime books or the great historical epics yeah no it's a good reminder that there is other stuff out there other than captain america and also captain marvel and captain marvel and also avengers endgame last year obviously closed the door on phase three of marvel so it kind of feels a little bit like is it time to start looking beyond the realms of Marvel, maybe? And yes. re- looking back at some of the great films that have been inspired by sort of great graphic novels. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Graphic novels. Mm. These are not just comic books. They are brilliant stories with incredible depth that just so happen to be told in the comics medium. Mm. We're going to start this season off with Sam Mendes' second feature film, the Road to Perdition, originally released in 2002. It's been so long. Was it really only his second feature film? It was really his second feature film. Bloody hell. American Beauty was his first. I completely forgot that. Jesus. Because he was the- in the theatre beforehand, wasn't he? Like a seasoned theatre director. Yeah, he was, um, I don't know what they call it in theatre, like showrunner or creative director mm. at the Donmar. He made the Donmar what the Donmar is. Okay. Uh, the one in Covent Garden. Very famous. Um, and I guess from the Donmar, places like the Old Vic and the Young Vic and the Almeida Theatre took their lead from the Donmar. From what I understand, I'm not I'm not a West End Wendy. I don't really understand all that. A West End Wendy. A West End Wendy. <laughs> a Shaftesbury Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Um, but he was very big in theatre. He did that uh, that run of cabaret with um, Alan Cumming mm-hmm. and then off the back of all that kind of popularity and all that that success he got given or he got asked to direct American Beauty by DreamWorks mm. and then a couple of years later he did this because DreamWorks obviously is run by Steven Spielberg at the time it and, was yeah and Spielberg and Katzenberg and Geffen Ah, okay. Because it was DreamWorks SKG. Yeah, it was, wasn't ah, it? And then they sold it to Paramount. But Spielberg is the one who read the book, wrote a perdition, and really enjoyed it and tried to find a director for it and sent it to Sam Mendes, I think. From so, what I understand, I, yeah. I don't know the origin. Yeah. The film itself is based on the graphic novel of the same name, written by Max Allen Collins and illustrated by Richard Pierce Rayner. 
and it has Tom Hanks, America's daddy. It has <laughs> he is Newman. America's daddy. He's America's you daddy. do just feel like, oh, hi, dad. <laughs> back, back on screen again. Uh, Paul Newman, America's granddad. Yeah. Jude Law, America's illegitimate son. <laughs> <laughs> and a pre-bond Daniel Craig. Yeah, yeah. Great cast. And it's set in 1931. And I love things set in a pre-digital era. It's Prohibition in Illinois. Michael Sullivan, Tom Hanks. He's a loyal henchman to crime boss Rooney, played by old blue eyes himself, Paul Newman. Michael's son, which is not at all confusingly also <laughs> named Michael, Michael, witnesses Tom Hanks and Daniel Craig playing Connor. They do some murderous gangster shit. Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig's character, Connor, thinks, well, he's probably going to rat me out. Mm. So he goes to the house. He murders Michael's wife. He murders a boy that he thinks is Michael, but it turns out to be Tom Hanks' other son, Peter. So when Michael finds out, as in Tom Hanks, he wants retribution and he flees with the other Michael. So both Michaels bugger off. And now we see the six weeks in that summer of 1931 where they bond and Michael finds retribution. Mm. Do you remember seeing it in the cinema? I have never seen this before. Really? Never seen it. It's one of those films where I feel like I had seen it because I remember when the trailer came out and really remember seeing it, you know, seeing the trailer at the cinema or it must have been the cinema and thinking, Jesus, that looks like a really, really good film. Really wanted to see it. Never watched it. And then when I used to have to write lists for TotalFilm.com, I think there was maybe a list I wrote that was kind of like the best movie scene set in the rain or something yes and um so i actually had watched the end scene or endish scene did you remember um, it did you did you remember the context i knew that i knew that paul newman got shot down in the rain at yeah. the end and i knew it was tom hanks so i he knew shot that. me down yeah bang, um bang. but no i'd never seen it before so then watching it now it was completely fresh to me and, and was and i absolutely loved it i saw it in the cinema i've seen it multiple times mm. since i it's I, your kind of, as soon as it started, I was like, this is a Rob film. <laughs> it's moody. It's, it's dark. It's consistently moody. It's got anti-heroes, you know. Yes. And I remember at the time, such a hoo-ha was made of the fact that Tom Hanks was playing mm. what was considered a baddie. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's Mr. Nice point, Guy. Up until that point, he is Mr. America. He mm. is, he's always either the, the uh, sort of the cheeky husband or Gump. The, or yep, yeah, or the victim. Victim in Philadelphia. Yep, yeah, exactly. The, the dad in Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. Turner and Hooch. Turner and Hooch. That's, played maybe the dog. that's the closest he's come to being unlikable is in Turner and Hooch. Unlikable. Because in that he plays a bit of a dick, doesn't he? I have not seen Turner and Hooch. Oh. I've not seen that or the the one with what's the one he did with Jim Belushi's brother? No, Jim Belushi. John Belushi's his brother, he's dead. Uh oh, I don't know. What, back in the day? Yeah. I don't know. Bachelor Party? You can't have been. No, no, it wasn't in Bachelor Party, was it? Well, Tom Hanks was. I don't know about Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of House Party. Uh... That early 90s black exploitation comedy. Black... Tom Hanks was not in that. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hanks you was imagine? not in that. I, I, I have a real <clears throat> affiliation for gangster era America. Mm-hmm. I think it's so cool. Uh-huh. Even though they were all assholes. Well, yeah, the killers. Murderers. But I just think it's, it, it was almost like the second Wild West in their history. Mm. Prohibition, the rules were unwritten, apart from the fact that um, alcohol was outlawed. 
everything else that they did, all these underground speakeasies, completely unwritten, those rules. Mm. It makes well, it's, amazing it's, stories. And it's the Great Depression. So it's people desperate, living on the edge. Um, it's almost if it almost feels like post-apocalyptic. It feels like this is what could happen sort of in 100, 200 years time. If things got really bad, it would go back to, you know, the 1930s kind of yeah lawless people with guns kind of thing i loved seeing tom hanks in this because when i was a kid i was obsessed with tom hanks really yeah it was, he was like my favorite actor i wrote to him i wrote him letters did he write telling back him i actually loved him no you should write again <laughs> Do you remember what you said <laughs> just like i love you in splash i love you in big turner and hooch <laughs> made me cry my eyes out which it did how did um, you how did you prepare for your role as the dog <laughs> so to see him in this it was like... Oh, Toy Story. He's in Toy Story. Toy Story, yeah. So I loved him in Toy Story as well. I was completely obsessed with Forrest Gump. I was obsessed with Forrest Gump. When did you stop becoming obsessed? Um, da Vinci Code? It's weird because that was a very intense obsession, but then it just suddenly seemed to stop. Most obsessions are like that. Yeah, and I don't really know why. I think maybe I moved on to fan- like guys who were more fanciable or... You say Tom Hanks isn't fanciable. Maybe ba- like, ba- like Bachelor... Bachelor thingy, party days, maybe. Like Money Pit, yeah. Captain Splash. Phillips era? Captain Phillips, yeah, he's got a gruff appeal. <laughs> he's a he's man, man in authority. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you like boatmen. But it was a bit of a surprise, actually, going because it doesn't feel like this film was that long ago, but actually it was. So I watched um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood mm. recently, which I think you saw as yeah, well. Yeah, I saw that. Which was lovely, and he's just so lovely in it. Um, but it's like he, a warm hug. It's a warm, warm hug with some weird puppet shenanigans. Yeah. But no, but yeah, so so this film, he doesn't feel like Tom Hanks until he has that moment where he shouts. So before, he's very quiet, very reserved, very watchful. And then it's only when there's a moment where he shouts, I think, at his son. He's you're saying, like, if I say, if I say do something, you do right. it. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah there it is. Then you hear his high-pitched. Yeah. But, because for, the, I mean, it is an extraordinary performance that when people talk about Tom Hanks they don't ever talk about this film but Mm. this is one of his most restrained and most subtle and underplayed performances because he's just this background guy who is the loyal henchman to Rooney who is played by Paul Newman and he's quiet he's just meant to sit and listen and protect and do his job and do his job and for a lot of the film he is cast in shadow his the brim of the hat is cast in this shadow over his eyes and it's not really until he's shot in the arm and passes out that he becomes Hmm. a an an open figure he loses the hat he becomes more open to his son Hmm. he becomes it almost like reasserts him it re it reinvigorates it. He's a reborn character. And that's that's kind of the moment where the film shifts gear is where it goes. Like it's very, um, it's very staid and kind of there's a real sense, like an undercurrent of threat that come that is there for the first 30 minutes or so. Yes. It's almost, it's almost got like a modern Godfather feel to it. You know, it's about family and betrayal. and Everything's very oppressive. And I, yeah. I noticed there's a lot of spotlights mm. lighting people from above, pushing down and giving them real heavy heavy yeah uh, shadow yeah and the only real joke i mean there's some there's some like real like dark humor like when uh daniel craig sees tom hanks and paul newman playing the piano together which is almost like 
that's where the film tells you what this is actually going to be about is that um it's about fathers and sons yeah but also the fact that he daniel craig's character can't deal with the fact that his father loves this man who yeah. isn't his son well um, tom hanks character michael is the son that paul newman's character rooney never had yeah yeah rooney is so unimpressed and so disappointed in connor played by daniel craig mm. but he's so loyal to him mm. And they and they have an affinity with each other. They just kind of seem to understand each other. Mm. Um, but then, you know, the only bits of humor are the moment where Daniel Craig says um, something about this is fucking hilarious. It's also yeah. fucking hilarious. And then when um, Tom Hanks's character goes to see uh, one of the contacts, and he says to the, the bodyguard, "You're going to frisk me," and he's like, "Oh, oh yeah. should I?" Like that's I kind think of funny. You should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but then. You know, all this really dark stuff happens and suddenly it does turn and it does turn after he's shot and he is only with his son. And there's the driving lessons segment. Yes. And... I mean, really, the whole film is about fathers and sons and the relationship between because mm. women basically don't appear in the film. And if yeah. they do, they're either whores or they're wives, which are, which are completely dispatched. Yeah, you know, Jennifer Jason Leigh. I don't know why she took this uh, role because it's it's a it's a nothing role. She's in it for what three scenes and then she's I shot. Know. I was really annoyed and disappointed by that, but also I think the clever thing is that it was Jennifer Jason Leigh, and they kind of did a bit of a psycho where it's like you know she's this phenomenal actress, and so when she's gone, you really feel it. Um, so so you say you say Mendes is um, sort of. She isn't just the, a wife. Well, he's putting the audience in like a full sense of security. Go, yeah. Oh, Jennifer Jason Lee. She'll probably have a big part. Oh, yeah. she's gone. She's dead, but she's memorable. She's gone. She's dead off camera. We don't yeah. see her shot. Well, I'm glad actually. <laughs> um, yeah. When, when her name came up in the credits, I was like, holy shit, Jennifer Jason Lee. And Doris Claiborne. Like, Dolores. Dolores Claiborne's daughter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it is all about fathers and sons. And there's a lovely, lovely speech or the kind of talk between, uh, oh, what's his fucking name? Mike, between the two Michaels, where the kid kind of says, why did you like Peter the more than me? Mm. And he and, and the dad says, well, I didn't actually. <laughs> um, but it's really unsentimental and just a frank, but really lovely emotional just chat between the two of them where they talk to each other properly for the first time. Do you think Michael Sr. is at all aware of how harsh and cold he is to Michael Jr. I don't know. I don't think he is. I think like what I don't think he realizes until he actually has to say that you're really similar to me. I don't think he really is conscious of that until he's confronted with it by his yes. son. Um, and like you, you get that. Like I, when I look at my, my sister with her three boys, they're such distinct personalities and you kind of, you do find yourself Liking more, liking not, one more than the other. Not liking, not liking one more. Do you shun the other one. Yeah, yeah. Just get out of my way. <laughs> the one with the leg. <laughs> one is easier to relate with, maybe, or to kind of have fun with. Why is that? Is he geeky? Is he... Just because they're just like so smiley and like what what Michael says in the film is like he was just so lovely, so easy going, and so easy. It's just yeah. easier. Um, it doesn't mean you love them any less or you like them any less. It's just a very different kind of relationship. But also, he had no father, Michael Jr. Uh, senior. He doesn't mm. know how to show love. Mm. Yeah. And Michael Jr. is was or is older than Peter. Yeah. 
So is it easier to show love to the second child because you've kind of made the mistakes with the first and then you re-evaluate your methods Maybe. for the second child? Well, it's always like the, the oldest child is the one that's got all the issues, right? <laughs> well, the, family, the, right? But the, th- the thing is, like, the youngest child is always going to be the baby no matter what age they are. And so I think with this family... It is like the baby is the baby, even though he's sort of six or seven now. So he's always going to be the baby. And so the older brother is always going to see him being treated as the baby. Yes. Um, That's still in my family. Yeah, it's just the way it is. My brother's 30. 30. He's 30. (laughs) He's 60. And he'll be 31 soon. But he's still the baby of the family. Yeah. Even like he's the youngest of all the cousins. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Like you, you stay the way you are in the rank of the family. It's weird. I've been getting into the Osmonds a lot recently, listening to their music. Oh, okay. Jimmy Osmond mm. is like, he must be like 60. Yeah. But all the brothers still refer to him as the youngest brother. Yeah. Because he is. He is. He's little Jimmy Osmond. <laughs> are fathers destined to die as a result of their sons? Oh, God. Is that what this film is? Apothesizing. I reject your hypothesis. <laughs> Sorry, Quentin Tarantino. Um, uh, it's isn't it more about breaking the cycle of of violence and kind of you, your son, your children can have a different path to you. Well, I don't know if that means you have to die. Clearly, that is what happens in this film. Um, but that's Michael's Michael Senior's plan, isn't it? He doesn't mm. want he doesn't want Michael Junior to to commit or be tarnished by the same sins yeah. as as him as him and, and, and the rest of them. Yeah, because there's that great conversation with him and Paul Newman where he says that we're never going to see heaven, but I want my son to kind of yeah. thing. And so when that's a really, really clever way of setting up the stakes for younger Michael. And so when he is confronted with Jude Law and, and pointing the gun at him, you really, really don't want him to pull that trigger. No. But you know that he should, because he's going to fucking die if he doesn't. That um, we know of. Yeah. Yeah, it's an impossible, it's one of those impossible situations. Yeah. In order to live, he has to kill, and he'll never, he won't see heaven. Yeah. It's very, very clever, and heartbreaking. And, and of course, it has to end in, it is a very clever, bittersweet ending, because it has to end in tragedy, just because the, the shape of the film is this is going to be a fucking tragedy. Yeah. Like as soon as this, the second act starts to be funny, you know, it's going to have a sad ending. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but it's kind of, it is really bittersweet in that it's tragic. He lost his father, but actually he's going to have a life now. Because of those farming people. Yeah. Cause the farming people randomly, <laughs> that he remembered where they lived and he went back there. Well, he's got a memory. <laughs> yeah. and he probably just went to the sat nav and went fight last destination. Yeah. Did you know, do you know who Tyler Hoechlin is? Uh, he's the kid that plays Michael Jr. He's Superman. What do you mean? In, um, in Supergirl, the TV series, he plays Superman now. I haven't seen Supergirl. Okay. Well, he's um, in it. He was marvelous. also, yeah. <laughs> he played, well, he's marvelous. full on cow. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And he looks good as it as well. Um, and he was also in Teen Wolf. So it was a bit of a shock to see him in this, having seen him in Teen Wolf with his top off running around all muscular. And then be like, Wait, <laughs> Did you recognise him immediately? Tom did, I didn't. My partner did. I was like, Partner? That's not oh. Tyler. Oh, oh, yeah, it is Tyler. Oh, weird. Okay. Carry, carrying on. <laughs> it is odd that, isn't it? Yeah, very like, weird. Sometimes you do watch things and you go, I recognise that child. Years hmm. ago, my mum was watching The Equaliser, you know, with Edward Woodward. 
Oh, yeah. The TV show, not the right, remake right. with Denzel Washington. Yeah, I was going to say. And she went, there was like a woman holding literally like a, a baby, a brand new, newborn, whatever <laughs> baby. And she goes, I recognise that child. I recognise that child. That's Macaulay Culkin. No. And it was Macaulay fucking Culkin. No. I was like, wow, sharp eyes, man. Bloody hell. I mean, sharp the Culkins eyes. all do the same, so. Yeah. That, but still. To a degree. Mm. I mean, up until a certain age, and then you just look at Macaulay Culkin now and go, looks nothing like Kieran Culkin. No, actually. Is honour and loyalty more important to these gangsters than love? Yeah, I think it is, actually. At the, in the, at the end of the day, they all kill each other. Or they would kill each other. They try to kill each other. You know? But is that honour? Yeah. So love, if they really genuinely, truly loved each other, they wouldn't be able to pull the trigger, surely. You know, they value, they value honour over love because Paul Newman says, yeah, you need to go and kill him. But also Alfred Molina's character is expected to... Alfred Molina? Alfred Molina. He's the guy that Daniel Craig shoots in the head. No, he's not. That's Kieran Hines. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) They're basically the same person, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, of course, yes. I could see that. I could see it. Yeah, he's the he's sort of German or he's European. Yeah, and he was in. Oh, fuck! He was was in Mission Impossible. No, no, no. Oh, he was in Munich. He was in Tomb Craig. He was in Tomb Raider 2. Yeah. Have not seen that. Was Daniel Craig in Tomb Raider 2 or the first one? Just the first one. Just the first one. Fully okay, naked. so Daniel Craig seems to be getting people all the work. Mm. Maybe they just connect via LinkedIn. That was the same year as this. The first Lara Croft. With, really? With Daniel Craig. Was, Jesus, that's insane. Because he is unbelievable in this, actually. Yes, he is. But let me make my point Sorry. about non-Alfred Molina. <laughs> Kieran what? Hines, isn't it? Hines. Um, he is expected to respect Rooney, played by Paul Newman, even in the face of this open secret that he knows and everyone in the bloody room knows Rooney had his brother killed. Yeah. So this non-Alfred Molina man is expected to ignore the love he has for his brother and respect Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. Paul Newman Which clearly... That's what, that's what I said, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah. Paul Newman <laughs> clearly doesn't love his own son, but the honour of respecting one's family is... Mm. is is seemingly more important than the love he feels for his surrogate son. Yeah, absolutely. Michael Senior. Yeah. He he will not allow anyone to hurt his but you know, his biological son mm. um for whatever reason you know, for the reason of that that honor thing. It's you you know, your family. Even in the face of doing something hideous like ordering the murder of Michael Junior. Yeah. And it's not like Michael Jr. was ever going to tell anyone. Yeah. And how, how is... Complete paranoia. I know. Paul Newman says, oh, don't kill the, the kid. Yeah. Um, but they've already done worse than that, you know? Like, so he, kill- he was going to have Michael Sr. killed, but not Michael yeah. Jr. But, then that, but that doesn't make any but sense. But then clearly... That would were, make it worse. But I mean, that was never going to happen. Like, the guy was definitely going to kill both of them. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So Let's talk about Harlan Maguire, Jude Law's character. He was amazing in this. Fucking creepy as. So creepy. And his introduction, the shot of his introduction the reverse is zoom. unbelievable. Underneath, is it Brooklyn Bridge or it's, kind of a railway? No, it's, it's Illinois, isn't it? So oh, right. It's, it's, well, it's <laughs> well. under a, some sort of bridge. Yeah. It's so fucking 
creepy. It's almost yeah. as if the world is repulsed by him. Is that what that... Because I was trying to figure out what that shot was telling us about him because it's it keeps him in the middle of the frame. It looks mm-hmm. like he's not actually progressing towards us. He's almost in like this limbo state where everything around him is moving, but he isn't. So reverse zooms are so overused. Yeah. I think this is one of the best examples of using it. It was great. Uh, Hitchcock used it to uh, give a sense of vertigo in vertigo. Mm. Spielberg used it to give a sense of complete uh, terror in Jaws. This really does tell the story that this guy is so fucking creepy Mm. and so warped in his outlook on life and his uh, opinion of, of, of human life that even the world around him is warped in his yeah, sense, yeah. In, in his, he's like in his presence. So you, when you're dollying the camera in, when you're pushing the camera in, you're at the same speed as the dolly is moving physically. You're zooming out, mm. or you could do it the other way. If mm. you're pulling the camera away at the same speed, you're zooming in. So it keeps the subject dead center, basically the same size, mm. but the perspective changes. And it's so weird. It's really effective. Very effective. Yeah. And it's bold move. Yeah. Bold move. Because it's not a showy a... film. No, it's not. I mean, it's, there's, it's there's, subtly showy. There's choice moments that are really stunning visually. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. But he, he just has this sort of street rat ferret mm, thing going dirty on. Dirty Almost like a... Um, it's, I keep thinking of Freddy Krueger. Because he's kind of hunched. Yeah. He's kind of bent over. He's kind of misshapen. He does stuff with his face that is just incredible. Yeah. Like when he's watching the car roar away from the diner and his brow kind of like almost curves down and he just looks like a demon, but not in a kind of pantomime way, in a genuinely unsettling way. I haven't seen him do anything close to this for a long Mm. time. Because he was... This is around... Oh, this is just after he did Gattaca, which he was he was amazing in that. And just um, after AI. So AI. it's when he was really hitting his stride. This is, this is around the time when he was doing a real spread of stuff. Like he did um, Mr. Obviously, Tantum Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. Then he did Enemy at the Gates, mm-hmm. um, Cold Mountain, I Heart Huckabee, Sky Captain, Alfie, Closer, The Aviator. Like he was doing a real spread of stuff. But he was also, he had become a massive tabloid target. Yes. So his love he was life. Shagging around. His love life was all over the tabloids. Um, and I feel that that's like a real shame because he's actually one of our best actors, I think. Yeah. I just, he just, like this year I saw him in the rhythm. Oh, yeah. Something. What's it called? Rhythm the, section. The rhythm section. I mean, it's a fucking dire film. So he's not making the right choices or he's mm. not being offered the right things yeah but he is a he's a leading man yeah he is a leading actor he he has the the potential to be our leonardo dicaprio yeah and yet he just doesn't seem to be afforded that opportunity and i Mm. really wonder why because he is phenomenal in this and he's phenomenal in so many things but he he he's in that um the new pope that tv series which has got wild acclaim i have not Um, seen so maybe he's more of a a TV lead because he's such a good actor that he can sustain a character, I think. Uh-huh. So maybe he lends himself more to TV. Um, my favorite thing that happens with his character that I think is so, so clever is that moment in the diner where 
he sits opposite Michael, Tom uh-huh. Hanks. They're in opposite booths. And he takes out his camera and he sets it down on the table. And that is a threat. <laughs> that is like, I'm going to fucking kill you and take your picture. And and Michael Sullivan is is like impressed by the camera and talking I about shoot it. The dead. Yeah. And it, it's kind of, he should be feeling utterly terrified. Well, I think you he know? is. Do you He's think the sweat. The sweat. Do you think yeah. Tom Hanks knows who he is? I think he recognizes a killer because but he you, is one. Maybe a recognizes a killer, but do you think he knows exactly who he is? Oh, maybe. Because he's not sent a, by. Sent really. by his boss. Yeah. So it's not unusual. It's not unusual for Tom Hanks' character to be in the room when decisions are being made and names are being thrown around. Mm. So there's, 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 no, there's no doubt in my mind that he would know exactly who this guy is, which yeah. is why he scarpers. Yeah. Very in a very clever way as well. Yeah, yeah. We've all done that. Pretended to be drunk and then <laughs> driven away with our own son. Yeah. Oh God, he's just so good in this, and I think it. Yeah, it's it's no surprise that Sam Mendes is a originally a theatre director because the performances are just kind of perfect in this film. Paul Newman. Yeah. Those eyes. Uh, they are gorgeous, gorgeous eyes. But that performance. The whole weight of the world mm. is on him. So much so that in his moment of death, mm. he's having to hold the car to hold himself up. Yeah, That's how oppressive that man feels. Mm. Everything, every decision that has been made in that film has led to this moment mm. and it's his complete undoing. Yeah, it's great. And that scene where him and, and Tom Hanks play the piano together is beautiful. It's so... The one in the basement of the church... They're not, you know, it's a basement of the church. It is closer to hell than heaven. Mm-hmm, yeah. Daniel Craig in a pre-Bond role. Yeah. I genuinely think choosing to do James Bond was the worst decision he ever made. He's hated it. He's hated it the whole way along. But just look at the choices. Look at the films that he was doing before Bond. Yeah. He was doing this. He was doing um, Munich. He was doing phenomenal Brilliant, brilliant work. And he had his yeah. pick. He was becoming known as an incredible character actor. Yeah. Then he goes and does Bond. And what's he done since? The <laughs> Golden Compass. Oh, God. The, the film Defiance. Tintin. Knives he's, Out. Well, this... You know, thing. he's turning it around. I, I don't think Daniel Craig is a hero. I think he plays morally bankrupt or morally ambiguous characters exceedingly well when he plays funny or when he plays light-hearted or when he plays a good guy i don't think it works well Mm. knives out is a fun film but Mm. his performance is basically forgettable right you've seen knives out no not yet i really okay it's fun and it's not ryan johnson's best Mm. if you're expecting something like brick and looper yeah don't okay this is akin to um edgar wright doing baby driver okay Something that should be gritty and, mm. and shoddy and a bit exploitation-y mm. actually turns into very light studio fare. It's sad. Like you go on the you go on Daniel Craig's IMDb page and you know how there's like a known for section at the top that has posters of all their fa- their most famous films. Okay. It's literally just a panel of Bond. It's <laughs> Casino Royale, Skyfall, Spectre, Quantum of Solace. That's and it. So far, I mean, I can't talk about No Time to Die because they've got time got to no delay, but no time, time. to delay. <laughs> to, 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 no time to deny. Of the four yeah. Bond films that we've seen, only two of them 
yeah. like any good. And I'm yeah, talking yeah. about performances as well. Yeah, I know. Spectre it's made him very rich, but just think what he could have done and what we could have seen of him in the past 15 years. Yeah, he's got that real kind of actor's presence, isn't he? And like he's got his face. He's not like traditionally handsome. He's a bruiser. He's a boxer. Oh, yeah. He's you like a, I've always said he looks like a bouncer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So hopefully post-Bond, he'll actually sort of get it, get the roles that he should be doing. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Hoechlin. Isn't it Hoechlin? Ho- Ho- oh, Hoechlin. Well, the kid that plays Michael. Yeah. What a brilliant little actor. Not at all Amazing. stage schooly. Yeah. It's not, I love you, Dad. Yeah. I love you so much. Yeah. He's really brooding and moody. Yeah. He is... He's like a believable 12-year-old kid who's just a bit angry and, and kind of dark. Yeah, you know? it's, like, it's just a plate. <laughs> yeah. I've seen someone get fucking killed, all right? <laughs> I've seen some shit, Mom. I need another pancake. Go on, just hit me up. Hit me up. I need some maple syrup, Mom. <laughs> but I like kids that can act convincingly. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't feel like they're acting in a way because they think that's how they're meant to be acting. Yeah. So Hayley Joe Osmond brilliant yeah baby timothy brilliant even macaulay culkin is that baby in the equalizer <laughs> no Perfect. one's eating the rusk like him it was you you haven't lived until you've seen his rusk oh my god <laughs> conrad l hall this was his final film as cinematographer before he died mm. um and the film is dedicated to him He's worked with Paul Newman before in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Whoa. And Cool Hand Luke. He's worked with Mendes before in American Beauty. Mm. He's, up until his dying day, what a phenomenal talent. The slow-mo rain shoot is, is it's the moment from this film. Yeah. It's so operatic. And Mendes is a, is, 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 is a genius for keeping the sound silent mm. until Rooney speaks and then the loud gunfire that kills him yeah but that look and the rain and the slow-mo and the lights from above mm. the the framing and the color is very reminiscent of my favorite American painter Edward Hopper mm. his paintings have uh, become synonymous with the American Great Depression, so of that era. Mm-hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. And it's just a shame that the guy died. Right after making this, isn't right it? Right after making this film. I think yeah. he got... Post- I think he posthumously, got, he got the Oscar. Did he? Yeah, yeah. Paul Newman got the Oscar as well. Not that I give a shit about Oscars. The Oscars. But yeah. that Paul Newman was dead six years later is a brilliant way to mm. end a career that started in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And he's left behind that great mayonnaise. Salad dressing, actually. (laughs) If you're going to take the piss out of a dead man, at least get his condiment right. Yeah. Have you seen 1917? I have. Did you not like it? Technically, it's brilliant. Visually, it's brilliant. But emotionally, it's just, there's nothing there. Mm. They killed the wrong guy. You've seen it. No, not yet. Interesting. Because... Sam Mendes has had such an interesting career. Up and down career. Well, because American Beauty is similarly kind of quite austere and is emotional, but it's not like hard hitting. It, it's quite. It's quite cold. It's removed. very glassy. Yeah, yeah, it's all very cynical and kind of like, oh, isn't life shit behind this? <laughs> you know, behind the white picket fences and stuff. Yes, but this um, is reasonably 
whimsical at times. Mm. It feels, yeah, it does feel a li- little bit like a, like a grim fairy tale. Yeah. But it has the emotion, like when you get shot at the end, you are like, fuck, like you know it's coming. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to happen. But when that blood spurts out of his chest on the white Shot in shirt, the back. Shot in the back. Because Jude Law's character's a fucking coward. Oh. Yeah, and like when he get when he goes, you're like you're happy, and he flops. It's like such an unglorious death. Yes, or inglorious death. Face plant, just bang on, and it's just like thank fuck that person isn't in the world anymore. <laughs> <laughs> bang bang, shot you down. This has been a public service announcement by Joshua Winnin. <laughs> That was Road to Perdition, directed by Sam Mendes. Give us a clue as to the next film we're covering. Next up, we're going black and white. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or TuneIn Radio. We're on Twitter. We are. At Torn Stubbs Pod. So come and have a chat with us over there. Give You'll us... probably just get abused by me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a rite of passage. We've all had it. We're off to get to heaven quickly an hour before the devil knows we're dead. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut! Now there's a change in the weather, there's a change in the sea. And from now on, there'll be a change in me. My walk will be different, my talk and my name. Nothing about me is gonna be the same I'll change my long cover for a little short flat I'll even change the number hanging on my flat Ah, because nobody loves you when you're old and gray There'll be some changes made today There'll be some changes made